I'm so excited to have Lita Green with us. She's the author of the new book, Love Me Too. She shares in this book her story of resilience coming from her own Me Too story and experience. You really don't want to miss this powerful episode. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Lita, welcome to the show. Hello, Devin. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you. Thank you for joining me. Um, as we think about, uh, you recently wrote a book. Uh, yes. And in the book, you share your Me Too story. But yes. I'm wondering if you would take just a few minutes and tell us whatever part of your story you want to tell us to put your insights into some context for us. Absolutely. Well, Devin, you and I have known each other for several years, and I'm, you probably didn't know that I had a Me Too story. And I to didn't. me, that's an important part of my story is that by doing some certain tools and self-work, it is no longer a significant part of who I am. And I spoke out because I've seen a lot of anger and resentment out there. And I love, I so love that we as a society are opening this up for a conversation. We need to be talking more about education. We need to be talking more about mental illness. We need to be talking more about suicide. I mean, the list goes on and on about the things that we just need to talk. Because if any two people sit down and talk, they'll find something they can respect each other on. And so I'm a big advocate of that. And that's why I'm speaking out now is because I want people to know that I, this lead green that they know and that those who don't know me, that I've been happy for a long time. I am living well and I'm living joyfully and I have fulfilling relationships with my husband, my children, other people, and the violation of being sexually molested from two and a half to 14 years old, those are during my fundamental years of who I am as a person, did not wreck me in having a successful and always life. And there are more people like me that are living well and living joyfully that, this, that bad things have happened to. That some yeah. we cause, some we don't. Obviously, I did not cause this to happen to me, this particular thing. But we have to work past our hard. We have to work past the thing or things that are difficult for us in order to become mm -hmm. vibrant human beings and not be stuck in a place of being a victim. But in fact, as a survivor, there was a time when you know, that victim word uh, applied to you. In fact, you went through some horrific things. Your, uh, you know, the person that did this to you uh, uh, left you at a point where in, at one point in your book, you say you were effectively suicidal. Yes. Um, this was not a, you've come out on top, but this was horrific. Yeah. No, I mean, I share how dark and awful it was in my book because I want people to know the simple truth of hope. And I am not the only example of this. I mean, I've listened to several of your podcasts and there's amazing hopeful people that are on there. And this is just my thing that I can put a flag in and say, this was so bad. It took me to this depth of mental despair and mental illness and years of depression and hating myself 
but I did the work and I'm here and I get to live here for as long as I choose to live here because I have those tools now and no one can take those tools from me. Yeah. You mentioned in our pre-interview stuff that you had some tips to share and the first one related to the way survivors use anger. Tell us about what you're thinking and how people can use anger. Well, as I was just saying that it's great that we're having this conversation and whenever anyone goes through a difficult thing, there is the cycle of grief and to recognize that we are in a cycle and you go, may have to go through that several different times, depending on how it relates, you know, a, a loss of innocence, a, a loss of tr being able to trust easily. Right. And you get to go through all of those different feelings that are appropriate and right but they are not a permanent state of being unless you choose to have them be a permanent state of being. And unfortunately, no one else can do this for you. No one else can get you to move through those steps as you should. You can't just say, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feel it. You have to go through them. And if, as you go, I like to define it by being the victim and then you're a survivor. So that's when the victimization has stopped. And then you get to become what I am calling as an advocate see the definition around a lot of difficulties go from being called a survivor because a survivor if you look at the synonym of the word survivor it's the residue it's the leftover and i am not the leftover of another person's choices i am i am a re, i am a, a reflection of my choices and that's a very very different and empowering place to be the girl that was suicidal and hated herself, that was a residue of the effect that had happened to me. And it was very justifiable from what happened to me to be there. And that's okay. And we want to lift up survivors. We want to encourage and give hope to victims. And we want to give hope to survivors that the broken that you feel, I now, what I have now as an advocate is I have the wisdom. I have the empathy. And in this place, I get to have humor and joy and abundance and all of the good things that you think have been taken from you. And so one of my first things to people is you need to understand that right now what you're feeling, like to a teenage brain, right, is not permanent. <laughs> you're going to have a life beyond this. And there's a different steps that you need to take to get to a different place. But the first thing we all need is that girl that was suicidal. I was suicidal because I was in so much pain and I had no hope that my life could ever be better. And so I have to give up some anonymity to say to people, okay, I'm, I basically opened up my life, you know, in my book to, you know, to share with the world that I was once, I want, I had a mental breakdown. I was suicidal. I hated, I mean, just really, vulnerable things, you know, that are usually kind of private to an individual to say, but look where I am now to give hope to people that are where I was, that it can get better, but it's not an overnight. It's not a quick fix, but human beings need hope. And we can only have hope to the level that we can see as possible. Right. So Lita, you had a second tip for us that you wanted to share and uh, it was to talk about the causes of sexual abuse and I, I know you know the old school thinking was so much attention even from women uh, going back a generation was 
to, they acted and spoke as if women caused sexual abuse by what they wore, what they did, what they said. Of course, I think most of us uh, see that as absurd today, uh, intellectually, but some of us still behave that way. What do you, how would you describe the causes of sexual abuse? Well, I really appreciate being able to ask this because when we tell young girls that if they are modest, that nothing bad will happen to them. If you behave, you know, politely and sweetly, and lots of different groups are told these kinds of things, that there's a certain way we are supposed to behave. When in reality, becoming a victim could happen to anyone, male or female, regardless of how we're dressed, regardless of what we've consumed. You know, water can be spiked. So, you know, it's not just, oh, I didn't drink, I'm safe. Um, it, any, any of us, of any category of life could be victimized in this way. There is sex trafficking that happens. The causes of this, one, I think are that we don't talk about this as a society, so we are not preparing our children and each other for the eventuality. Um, for example, Devin and I know each other from the National Speaker Association. I do not walk out to the car by myself at night, even though I know karate, even though I am 5'9 and I'm not a little waif, right? I'm, I'm, you know, pretty strong. I could probably fight off a lot of men with my training, but I don't put myself in a situation that I look like a target. And there's a big difference between causing something and being a and putting yourself where you look like a target, right? Because I could be walking out of the mall at two o'clock in the afternoon and be assaulted with people around. It's not yeah. just the deep, dark, you know, vans that pull up and they have the baby crying, all these different things. And we need to talk about this in a form of hope and protection and empowerment, not in fear and, oh, that happens to other people. Because when we're saying, oh, that happens to other people, it couldn't happen to us, our brains remove it from a possibility. And thus we're not being like, am I walking around being alert and aware? And it's interesting that one of the things that you can do to help you not be a target is eye contact. There's a big difference between um, someone who wants to not be identified and someone who's willing to murder you to assault you. And so just walking around being a friendly person can help you not be a target, right? Which goes to confidence. Um, and helping our young people that sex traffickers actually target people who appear or respond in unconfident, insecure ways. That is somebody that can be more targeted. So if we are talking to our kids and preparing them from a very young age that is age appropriate for them. So I'm not saying to my two-year-old, there are pedophiles out there. <laughs> I'm saying to my two-year-old, you are washing your elbow so well. Now you're in charge of, and I'm going to say a big person word, but I'm only apologizing so the audience understands that we are not embarrassed about using words like vagina or penis or bum, which are all areas that could be sexually assaulted. We are not going to say to our child, well, your rear end or your wah-wah, because that is not going to give them the words that if somebody does assault them to say, my penis was touched. That right. does not give children language. So I, when my children are very young, and this is what the research backs up, is you talk to them about their body parts and parts that they are now in charge of and that no one else touches that. No one right? And then if we take away the shame, which this is a hard thing because there's lots of movies and literature that have been trying to define how amazing sex is. 
and we've not been able to pin it down. And so then you take that very same power of connecting two human souls together and you twist it to an abuse. It does hit the soul in a very deep and hard way that shame is the natural inclination. And so if we build into our children and into our youth and into this conversation, that if somebody touches you and you did not consent, even if you were naked on top of each other and you say no, that is not a bonding and connecting exercise. That is disrespectful and not consenting for your partner to withdraw. Right. So Any time in this, if somebody does not listen to your words, they are disrespecting you and you are not giving consent. And it's the same on a paradigm to a child that you are now in charge of washing your elbow. You're doing such a good job. And as you're teaching them how to wash these different body parts, which let's be honest, these are the parts of our body that are usually the hardest to wash, right? Mm -hmm. right. You are going to be washing that probably longer than what they're going to be washing their forearm. But you just name all the different body parts. And then you're like, now, if, now you are so good at watching your, uh, washing your vagina. You are so good at this now. And this is when we wash it. And sweetie, this is really important because you are in charge of it. No one touches that now, unless you're at the doctor and mommy or a nurse will be present or daddy will be present. Nobody touches that because it's yours. And you're teaching your child the beginning of self-respect, self-boundaries, and respecting others' boundaries. And you've just protected your child from a pedophile. And there's, there's a lot of other suggestions that I have, but that's one of the most fundamental ways that we, if we can remove shame from our bodies, if we can remove that conversation of, oh, cover that up. That's, you should, nobody should be seeing that. Oh my heavens, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have open discussions with our children about at age appropriate levels, which again are in my book, mm -hmm. to help protect them that eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, because the reality, those that are molested, 80 to 90% are molested by someone they know. Unfortunately, it is their dad, their mom, their uncle, the adopted aunt or uncle. It is their neighbor. And so just saying, well, just trust them because they're an adult is right. not an answer. So when you make a mistake and you go to your kid and you say, ah, mommy made a mistake. I am so sorry. And I want you to notice something. Adults can be wrong. And part of what makes me a grown-up and mature and charactered person is that I am taking responsibility for mine. And you need to be aware that there are people who do not take responsibility and that is a dangerous person. That is someone we avoid and it may be your friend or it may be an adult. And if they can't take responsibility for their actions and how they hurt other people, that's a dangerous person and that is not someone we play with. Right, right. Your third tip was to suggest balancing love, trust, and accountability. How do those three interact? Okay, so this is one of my favorite things, and I love teaching this in my workshops and my keynotes, but basically in the very center of the circle is you. And there's a trick question here. Who gets to be in that circle with you? No one. Exactly. And I a person who believes in God, then you can put God in there, right? But the, most people believe in a loving God. If you don't believe in a loving God, then don't put him in there with you, right? So you have you. 
And you can know you're in that circle by yourself because you are not filtering your thoughts through anyone else's reaction. So for example, right now, um, I'm not thinking about if people like me, I'm thinking if I deliver good content, right? But if we are worried all the time, if we are being approved of, then we can't really show up in our true way. And if we are being abused, then we are fearful of what the reaction might be of someone else. Oh, I can't, I can't go do this. I can't do this because so-and-so could be angry. If I'm getting dressed in the morning and I'm thinking I need to dress so that so-and-so isn't angry with me, that is a sign of some kind of abuse happening or a warning sign that abuse could be happening because pedophiles and outside of sexual assault where you're just, you know, walking down the street and you're grabbed, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pedophiles and abusers in a rough category that I'm putting, you know, in this kind of stereotype that I'm putting them in, right? They don't just come up and attack you. That's what assault is. That's what an attack is. They manipulate your emotions and your feelings and your circumstances and those around you to make what they are intending to do safe. And so if you are, you have this module where it's just you in here, and then those closest to you are those that can do these three things closest. So as you have a bullseye that moves out. So someone you love, but is not able to take accountability for their actions or has not shown that they are trustworthy. And you teach this to children. It's really, they're smart, right? I've taught this to kids as young as eight and they're like, ding, 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 ding. And they don't know that I'm saying, a pedophile could get you because I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm putting it under the reference of bullying, which almost every school in the country has programs on bullying and don't have a bully in your life, but they don't teach you how to recognize or even to deal with a bully necessarily. It's just, don't be a bully. Well, we bully other people. We treat other people badly because we don't feel good about ourselves. Someone yeah. is not attacking or molesting someone else because they have a high self-esteem. Yeah. Right? So right. the trust, the ability to look at someone's actions and see if they do what they say they're going to do, not I told you I would, so therefore you have to trust me. But if they are lining their behaviors up with their actions, their words and their actions match, accountability is we all make mistakes. And of course, you could talk forever on each of these. We all make mistakes, but can we accept responsibility when we are not? Narcissists um, and abusers and people along that scale are unable to take responsibility for they are wrong. If they make a mistake, it's always your fault. And crazily enough, not only does my, my own experience and the research match up with this, pedophiles are not big on taking personal responsibility. And I was blamed and I believed it. I thought it was my fault. How weird is that? I was a child and as an adult, I get that. But as a child, that was, that was a formative belief that if anyone was angry around me, it was my fault. And that because I was so beautiful, it was my fault. The truth of the matter is I'm not that good looking, right? Nobody is that they're so good looking that people should, that you should not expect other people around you to have control of themselves because we all have our personal bubble. And, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend might experience this from their partner of, oh, I can't help it, baby. You're so whatever, fill in the blank, right? Right. 
we should expect accountability. And then love. Love is the ability to act in another person's interest. Love does not hurt you. Love does not ask you to keep secrets. The only good secrets are the ones that will eventually come out. Otherwise, I teach my children at Christmas, don't tell your dad what Christmas present we're getting. And then when he gets to open it, I say, see, that's why it was a good secret because he was in on it. It was just waiting. But if anyone asks you to keep a secret that is not gonna come out, that's a bad secret. And we don't keep bad secrets. And of course we can take this further, but we only have so much time, right? right, right. So that has to have this balance between love, trust and accountability. And you place people in your bullseye with you in the middle and those that can do the three of those things the best in that first ring. These are the people you go to with your problems and your concerns, your safety issues, right? When I'm sad, I go to these people. I don't go to this person out here in this outer ring that has proven that they're not going to keep my confidences or, you know, they're not going to blab, you know, that I had a bad day and put it on social media and right. They're not going to do that. They're going to hold me accountable to my best self are the people that I'm going to bring my concerns to. So not only does it help protect our children from bullying, it also helps adults recognize, wait a minute, maybe I, the reason I'm having conflict with people is because my words are not matching up with my actions and I need to go and apologize. And I need to earn my way closer to people. Not that I'm like, hey, I'm trying to go for your first rung of people here, but that you can assess your own performance. So not only is it helping us in that interpersonal way, but it also teaches because someone who's trying to abuse, manipulate, or you know, um, molest you is going to violate the rings and try to move their way up earlier than they've earned it because they love you, because mm-hmm. you should trust them, because they're an adult and you need to be sweet. <laughs> it's a booby trap, a booby trap. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing all those great uh, insights, Lita. I, I know you learned them the hard way, and I hope that some of the audience will learn them the easy way from your experience and not their own. What is your superpower, Lita? Well, my superpower, I got to think about this because you got to ask this question. And my first reaction was that I love people. But you know, in the case of this, I don't actually love all people, right? <laughs> my superpower is that I see people and I care about them and I want the best for them. And that is why I've spoken out is because if I can help one boy or one girl realize that they can have a full and fulfilling and joyful and amazing life, then it's worth sharing my vulnerable underbelly. Well, I hear that. Well, fantastic. It's been such a joy to visit with you today. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time before you go Lita, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can uh, find your book and uh, how they can connect with you personally? Yes, absolutely. My name is spelled Lita. It's L-E-T-A. And then green, like the color with an E on the end. And my book is entitled Love Me Too. My first book is on confidence and how to choose joy and happiness in your life. And I'm a speaker and an author. And my name, having a weird name, I'm pretty easy to find. So I'm on social media. I have a website. So Lita, L-E-T-A, at Lita Green. You know, doc. Fantastic. Well, Lita, again, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you sharing your story and uh, appreciate your willingness to, to be honest with us. We wish you every success in helping to share this message with more people to bring hope, 
back to people who have uh, suffered uh, you know, the kinds of things you have. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. And it's been amazing to see how my message of hope and resilience is being accepted. And we need more of it. So thank you for having people like me on, Devin. All righty. Let's do some good. Let's do it. At Caring Crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devon Thorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty, improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.